This is Power Players with Dan Clark. This is a podcast interview with the world's number one motivational speaker and best-selling author, Les Brown. Welcome to Power Players with Dan Clark, former athlete, Hall of Fame speaker, New York Times best-selling author, and high-performance business coach, where each and every single week, I bring you an inspiring message from an extraordinary human being who will share their secrets on how you can tap into your personal power to become everything you were born to be. Thank you so much for spending time with me today. In this episode, my dear friend and mentor hero, Les Brown, who was inducted into the Professional Speakers Hall of Fame, who was the recipient of the International Golden Gavel Award, and who has touched the lives of millions of people as one of the most popular motivational speakers on the planet, shares his life and climbed to the top of his profession, giving us an inside glimpse of how he got started and what he needed to experience to prepare himself to teach and inspire and coach others to become the best version of ourselves as speakers and as human beings. Les Brown, welcome to Power Players with Dan Clark. Listen, I am so glad to be here and you're being very modest. Ladies and gentlemen, he, he closed it out. I open it up, but he closed it out. He's a cleanup man. That's the record <laughs> show. And, 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 and what I love about Dan, there are people who just speak to entertain and to provide information. If information could change people, everybody would be skinny, rich, and happy. But Dan has a, a very unique talent that most people don't have. And that unique talent that sets him apart from everybody in the industry. I know no one. It's, it's, a, it's a different thing to speak for the ear and write for the eyes. That's different. I know how to speak to the ears, but I don't know how to write for the eyes. <laughs> I, don't, you know, I don't have it like that. But Dan, he does. And, and, and he has illuminated and amplified the careers of so many people who don't give him credit for writing their speeches, but he can write. Do you hear me? Up in here, up in here. And, and that's a gift. He's got a double portion. We're in 2022, a double portion of blessings up in here to write, to speak, to train, and to transform people's lives. That's his passion. They're so Not good. for you. Come on, let's get it on. Thank you, Les. Thank you, Mr. Brown. Dr. Brown. Preacher Brown. <laughs> so, yeah, Absolutely, baby. So let's just dive into uh, in the significance of Les Brown. When, when you say something in your, in your classic Baptist preacher rhythmic style, and you, you give us the spaced repetition in the matter of minutes, and then you interrupt with your contagious laugh, and then you pontificate with philosophies and one-liners that everybody hangs their hat on that can change their life forever. When I'm in the audience, I always watch how many people take notes when you speak, and to your point, how many people actually just kick back and, and allow the speaker to entertain them when someone else is on the stage. So when you come up with these one-liners, when you, when you share your wisdom, you have a way of sharing it in a way that, that other speakers say, I wish I could do that. And what you're telling us in your speaker boot camps, in your amazing, famous 
speaker courses is that no, people can learn to do what you do if they do it for the right reasons. Am I correct? You're, you're off. I can't hear you right now. Okay. There you go. Sorry. Okay. I never do an interview without my cake. I love it, baby. <laughs> Red. Absolutely. And, 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 and the reason that the, the style that I use to speak, and I, I was working with someone yesterday who said they didn't have a story and they didn't have a voice. And I said, yes, you do. But you can't see the picture when you're in the frame. And so <laughs> I talk with them and ask them a few questions. And then I gave their story back to them. I did it. And they were shocked. They cried and said, whoa, you told my story better than I told <laughs> <laughs> And so I, I, I feel that right now, what the work that you've been doing and helping people to become power players in their own lives, most people go through life half-stepping. They said that most people die at age 25 and don't get buried until they're 65 because they don't use the talents, abilities, and skills that they have the ability to use. And, and, and so they go to their graves thinking that they were not able to do the things they envisioned for themselves. There's a line in Lion King that says, Simba, you're more than that which you have become. And you've always, I believe, one, encourage people to dream big, two, Surround yourself with accountability partners. And three, whatever you're pursuing, never give up. Because it's not easy. Life is difficult. Uh, life, we just had the rug snatched out from under us. And we're going through a space where we've never been before. We're just walking through a supermarket or a drugstore. And, and you, you're thinking about if you inhale this air from whoever's been down that aisle who might be asymptomatic, it can cost you your life. Now, we're in a different place. I, I, I know about the fact that there are times in life we meet somebody talking to them after an event and their breath stinks so bad it, it was kicking like Bruce Lee and you would back it up. What the die? I've been there. Oh, my God. The oh, yeah. devil is a liar and his breath stinks. That's different. You know, this is it. I told everybody, I'm not coming out of the house till 2050. <laughs> These are my children behind me because my favorite book says a good man leaves a legacy for his children and for his children's children. And so they they listen to you and all of the greats. And I'm so excited about sharing time with you. I Thanks. want to, to really focus on something that you have done. Story selling. That's major. It, it was Steve Jobs who said the storyteller is the most powerful person in the world. Yeah. Now, why is that important? Because when you tell a story, the stories tellers, they, they set the agenda for the culture, for the collective thinking of people to influence and bring out the best in people, to challenge them, to inspire them, to engage. When people just give information, and that's the majority of speakers, that that impacts two areas of the brain. What you've always been skillful and masterful at is telling a story. That impacts five areas of the brain. 
And so when you are presenting and using your podcast, what it does is how people live their lives is a result of the story they believe about themselves. So when they listen to you and your guests, what you do is distract, dispute, and inspire. You distract them from their current story. And through the strategic use of your story, you dismantle their current belief system and inspire them to become, as Mother Teresa would say, a pencil in the hand of God and start writing a new chapter with their lives. Come on, somebody. I ain't playing. You got it. Absolutely. Can I have an amen on that one, brother? <laughs> so let me uh, let me just, without flattering myself, you know, we've we've had crazy experiences in our lives. You know, I've had a chance to sort of the edge of space and fly all the fighter jets and bombers and, you know, run the Olympic torch, blah, blah, blah. And fellow speakers, oftentimes in front of us, to our faces or behind our backs, say, ah, that stuff never happens to me. Why not? And every single time I've had a chance to listen to you, even on tape, that's how old we are, my friend, even on on cassette tapes and VHSs, oh my gosh, and your videos that people can still pull up on the internet that were recorded way back in the day. People have to understand that there are certain individuals in our world amongst us who have been tapped out by God, who have been given that second and third chance to continuously make the difference that they were put on this planet to make. And you were diagnosed with stage four cancer 29 years ago, and you're still as healthy and as happy and as energetic and as motivational as you were the day I met you, as I said, 40 years ago. And let me tap into your soul for a second. When you wake up, it's got to be a gift. You, 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 how, how do you deal with the, the knowledge that you're on this planet for a specific special reason that might be different than anyone else who's taken that breath? <laughs> well, you know what? It's When I get up in the morning, I say all things work together for good, for those who love God and for those who are called according to his purpose. And then say all things would be good or will feel good. So what I do is I have orientated myself to look for the good, no matter what happens. And one of the great things that happened when I was diagnosed with fourth stage prostate cancer, my PSA, which stands for prostate specific antigen, was 2,400. One to four, as you know, is normal. PSA for me stands for positively staying alive. <laughs> and so my, my, my oncologist, Dr. Alfred Golson, boy, he was a weird dude. He said, Mr. Brown? I said, yes. He said, your, your PSA is 2,400. I said, what does that mean? He said, one to four is normal. <laughs> I said, is there anything else? He said, yes. He said, cancers metastasized to seven areas of your body. I said, wow. He said, did you hear what I just said? I said, yeah. I said, man, seven is my lucky number. 
was born February the 17th. Joshua marched around the walls of Jericho seven times. Naaman dipped himself in the River Jordan seven <laughs> times. I said, seven is my lucky number. I said, is there anything else? He said, yes. And you're ugly, too. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. I said, you just call me ugly, did you? He said, yes. But you got this. He said, I never tell my patients they're terminally ill. What I say is that my knowledge, my abilities, and my skills have terminated. I determine the diagnosis you and God determines the prognosis. So there's a difference between dying of cancer and living with cancer, and you chose you chose to live with it. cancer, no Absolutely. big deal. Okay, yeah, so, so so take us back to the beginning. I got too many children to die now. The Lord <clears throat> that is so fruitful. funny. Yeah, he said, be fruitful and multiply. I took it seriously. <laughs> <laughs> so take us back to to your 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 birth, your circumstances when you came into this world so that everybody knows that as early as you can recollect, you, in fact, were tapped out for a special purpose, a larger-than-life mission in this in this world for some reason that you're continuously finding out and discovering and uncovering and revealing to yourself on a daily basis. Take us back. Yes, and I'm going to send you a video, too, that you're going to really love this. I, I was born, in, as you are aware, in a poor section of Miami, Florida, an abandoned building with my twin brother, Wesley, on a floor. And we were adopted by Mrs. Mamie Brown. I, I said, and I, I love this quote by Abraham Lincoln, who said, all that I am and all that I ever hope to be, I owe to my mother. Now, listen now, I'm 77. I just found out in the last three months, I just laid eyes for the first time on a picture of my birth mother and father. Oh my, my gosh. My birth mother's name was Dorothy Bell Rucker. And listen, she was a motivational speaker in Gainesville, Georgia. And my grandmother, her mother, Beulah Rucker and friends with Eleanor Roosevelt and Mary McLeod Bethune, she was a motivational speaker. Oh, and go educator. figure. I mean, come on now. And so my two brothers that I just met, they say, you're just like our mother and you never saw her. How do you explain that? You I know? love it. And, and so, but what it says is we all have greatness in us, but you've got to be willing to focus to put in the time and the effort to develop that greatness. You know, Dr. Miles Monroe said, live full and die empty. And that most people take their talents, their abilities, their skills, their voice, their story to their graves with them. And, and, and as we look at where we are right now, what we know in and out of this pandemic, life is fragile. It's fragile. And, and so they're saying there's a, we're going through something called the mass uh, resignations. And I said, no. I say, I believe that millions of people are deciding that they want to live their lives the way that they want to leave their lives. Yes, Let me share with you what I mean by that. If somebody said to an audience, you got six months to live, get your life in order. I guarantee the majority of the people in that audience would quit their jobs, over 80%. Mm -hmm. 
But if we were in the audience and they told us that we had six months to live, we'll spend more time with our family and finding as many speaking engagements as we can find. Absolutely. I told my kids, I said, if they say that I've died, I said, don't let them embalm me for three days and then sneak in the morgue and put a microphone in my hand. And if I don't grab it and say, you got to be hungry, say, dad's gone now. <laughs> like Zig said, as he started getting on in his years, I'm not retired, I'm refired. And that's just the yes. Les Brown mantra right there. Absolutely. Because... We have a work to do. There's something that each of us bring to the planet that the world would be deprived if we did not come here and do what we're supposed to do. I believe there's a calling on all of our lives. Horace Mann said we should be ashamed to die until we've made some major contribution to humankind. And I think when you look at your life, as much, Dan, as you've chosen this path, you were chosen for this path. The people that are listening, they could be listening to something else, but they were chosen to be here this point in time to hear this message and all the things that's going on in the world. I believe the things don't just happen, they happen just. And so I found out that my birth mother, she came to Miami to give birth to a set of twins. And, and I used to wonder, how could you bring two kids in this world and don't come back to check on them? And I now understand why she did it. We were a secret. She was married. But more importantly, being raised in Miami, Florida, in Liberty City, and being raised in Gainesville, Georgia, is a whole different thing. And, and so all things work together for good for those who love God. And to me, no matter what's going on, my goal is to be relentless and tenacious about looking for the good, to find the good in it. What is the blessing here for me? How can I turn this adversity into something good? What is it that I can do with my life at this point in time and I've been reflecting when you, when you're 77, you know, you start thinking about the fact that, hey, have I done all the things that I want to do? Sir. Have I made the impact that I want to make? And, and what else can I do that perhaps I've looked past? Because I don't want to leave nothing on the table. My goal is, is, is to die empty. There's, there's a piece by Dr. Howard Thurman, who was a mentor of Dr. Martin Luther King, Junior, he said, the ideal situation for a man or woman to die is to have family members praying with them as they cross over. He said, but imagine if you will being on your deathbed and standing around your bed, the ghost of the dreams, the ideas, the abilities given to you by life, but you, for whatever reason, you never pursued those dreams. You never used those gifts. You never tapped into that talent. And there they are standing around your bed, looking at you with large, angry eyes, saying, we came to you, and only you could have given us life. And now we're going to die with you forever. And the question is, the people that are listening to us and watching us, if they die today, what dreams, what books, 
What podcast, what leadership, what voice, what stories will die with them? I love the words of a guy who said, oh God, to reach the point of death, only to realize that you've never lived, only to realize that you never scraped the surface of your potential. Yes, sir. So take us back to answer the question. Okay, so I don't know what percentage of people in every one of our audiences are hurting inside, who want to believe, who need that nugget of wisdom, that that Les Brown mantra. When in your life did you actually realize that this thought process, this way of thinking was your reality? And when did you embrace it and believe that because you now know that anything is possible if you believe, uh, that it was your calling to start sharing that as a motivational teacher? Interesting you'd ask that question. I spoke in South Florida, where I was born and raised, about four months ago. And I told my oldest daughter who was with me, because they had a PA system outside and I could hear my voice. And it got quiet. All the other speakers, they were talking. But when I came up, they, they got quiet. And I said afterwards, I said, people, listen to me. She said, you just discovered that. <laughs> <laughs> but but the, the, the journey to here, when I was in the fifth grade, and you're aware of this, I was, I was labeled educable mentally retarded and put back from the fifth grade to the fourth grade. And I failed again in the eighth grade. And But my junior year, I met this guy who was just like you, your kind of personality, Leroy Washington. I went in his room looking for a friend of mine named MacArthur Stevens, and he said, young man, I want you to go to a board and work this problem out for me. I said, sir, I, I can't do that. He said, why not? I said, I'm not one of your students. He said, do it anyhow. I said, I can't, sir. And the other students started laughing, saying, he's Leslie. He's got a twin brother, Wesley. Wesley's smart. He's DT. And he asked, what's DT? He's the dumb twin. And I said, I am, sir. And he came from behind his desk. And he said, don't you ever say that again. Someone's opinion of you does not have to become your reality. Do you hear me? I said, yes, sir. Yes, sir. And he disrupted the vision that I had of myself. People say sticks and stones can break your bones, but words can never hurt you. That's not true. Words can hurt you. And they're very painful and, and they could last longer than physical pain. And so I followed him. And my mother used to work for this wealthy family on Miami Beach, Mr. Sadursky. And he used to listen to The Strangest Secret in the World by that, Earl Nightingale. That he becomes what we think about. As I was shining his shoes, I'm listening to these words. All of us are self-made, but only the successful will admit it. I'm shining his shoes. Now, this is a time that going to work with my mother on Miami Beach, they used to have signs up that said, Jews, dogs, and coloreds not allowed. So being in a culture that is designed to treat you less than, to destroy your sense of self, and then being exposed to that kind 
of message, Zig Ziglar. If you give enough people what they want, they will give you what you want. Jim Rohn, when the end comes for you, let it find you conquering a new mountain, not sliding down an old one. Dr. Norman Vincent Peale, you have something special. You got greatness in you. Don't allow negative thoughts to dominate your mind. You can't control the thoughts that come in your mind, but you can control the thoughts that you dwell on. So working for Mr. Sadursky, shining his shoes, cleaning his office and staying in there as long as I could while he was listening to these motivational messages, unbeknownst to me, it was programming my life for this life that I'm now living to train other people. Rubbing my adopted mother's ankles was swollen from arthritis and she was a master storyteller. While my brothers and sisters would be outside playing, I said, Mama, would you tell me the story again where you were raised in South Florida? Leslie, I've told you that story so many times. I said, I know, Mama, but tell me again. And the reason that I wanted her to tell me the story again, because she told it every time in the same way and with the same emotion. And I did not know that that was a process of grooming me years later to be able to stand on stage and 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 to be blessed to to be in the presence of, of someone like yourself and and be able to share what I learned from my mother at her need literally and listening to these greats all these years. What a great story. So take us to the transitional experience which is my favorite, besides, you got to be hungry, your most famous quote. But my favorite story of all time, it never gets old, and it's like going to a concert. We all show up to a musical concert with our own agenda. And regardless of how great the concert is of Billy Joel, if he does not sing Piano Man, we will rush the stage and throw stuff. It's yeah. not a good concert. 90 minutes of every one of his hits if he doesn't play what we came to hear. And you have got to tell your story about DJ and about that whole opportunity of you breaking into the workplace as a young man that taught you so many other life lessons that you share on stage in your mag- magnificent repertoire of stories. But this is the nucleus in my mind that launches every other one of your most popular stories if you know which one i'm talking about just take us back there my friend i became a disc jockey well i i know what you're talking about my former wife's gladys knight and and whenever she performed she had to do a midnight train to georgia before she left the stage or we'd be in trouble oh yeah yeah but i never forget when mr wash asked me young man what do you want to do with your life i said i like to buy my mother home he said how do you plan to do that i said i'd like to become a disc jockey He said, you want to be a disc jockey? I said, yes, sir. I said, I listen to radio all the time. He said, well, I'm going to help you. He says, number one, he said, develop your communication skills. Because once you open your mouth, you tell the world who you are. And he gave me a gift, Lead the Field by Earl Nightingale. That's an extended version of his self-development repertoire. And then he said, practice something called OQP. And I asked him, what's that? Only quality people. Who you run with determines who you end up with. And he said, develop your mind. 
is that if you develop your mind, develop your communication skills, and and you pay attention to who you spend time with, it will help you to become successful. I said, thank you, sir. He said, here's my card. I want you to go to WMBM radio station. Milton Butterball Smith was program director there. He said, I trained him. He's now the assistant manager. Tell him I sent you. And I said, yes, sir. And as I was going out, he said, and oh, one last thing, Mr. Brown. I said, what is that? He said, you got to be hungry. I said, what do you mean by that? People that are hungry, unstoppable. People that are hungry know you will fail your way to success. People that are hungry are relentless. I said, I'm hungry, sir. I promised my mother that I'll buy her home. She didn't have to adopt us, but she did. I'm hungry to take care of her. He said, don't lose your hunger. I went to WMBM radio session. Hello, Mr. Butterball. How are you, sir? My name is Les Brown, sir. I like to be a disc jockey. He said, young man, you have any journalism in your background? I said, no, sir, I don't. Do you have any experience in broadcasting? I said, no, sir, I don't. But let me audition for you, sir. I'm, I'm sure you're going to like me. He said, no, we don't have any job for you. I was devastated. I went back and told Mr. Washington, I said, Mr. Washington, he said, no. <laughs> he said, listen, got to be hungry. Most people are so negative, they have to say no constantly. You got to be hungry. Go back again. I went back again. Hello, Mr. Butterball. How are you, sir? My name is Les Brown, sir. I like to be a disc jockey. Weren't you here yesterday? <laughs> yes, sir. Didn't I tell you no yesterday? Yes, sir. Then why are you back today? Well, sir, I didn't know whether or not somebody was laid off or somebody was fired, sir. Nobody was laid off or fired. Now, get on out of here. I came back the next day, talking loud, looking happy, like I'm seeing him for the first time. Hello, Mr. Butterball. How are you? My name is Les Brown. I want to be a disc jockey. He said, I know what your name is. Weren't you here the last two days? Yes, sir. Didn't I tell you no the last two days? Yes, sir. Then why are you back today? I said, sir, I don't know whether or not someone got sick or someone died, sir. No one got sick or died. No one was laid off or fired. Now, don't you come back here again. I came back the next day, talking loud, <laughs> looking happy, like I see you for the first time. Hello, Mr. Butterball. How are you? He looked at me with rage. He said, go get me some coffee. I said, yes, sir. <laughs> My favorite book says, the greatest among you will be your servant. And I became the errand boy for the disc jockeys. I'd go get their lunch and their dinner, and I stand in the, I would stand in the control room watching them work their hands on the control board, knowing my time would come. I teach people it's better to be prepared for an opportunity and not have one than to have an opportunity and not be prepared. Mm -hmm. And so on the weekends, I, I would clean their cars, and they'd come out and say, who did this? I said, I did, sir. Wow. What do you charge? I said, nothing, sir. I just, I just wanted to help out. And so people do business with people they know, like, and trust. He gave me the keys to his big Cadillac. He said, look, Donna Ross and the Supremes are coming to town. Four Tops and Temptations. Pick them up and take them to the Fountain Blue Hotel on Miami Beach. I drove them all over Miami Beach and discharged his big long Cadillacs. Didn't have any driver's license, but I was driving <laughs> like I had some. <laughs> and then one day, it was a Saturday afternoon. 
and a disc jockey by the name of Rockin' Roger was drinking while he was on the air. And Rockin' Roger got so drunk he could not complete the show. He began to slur his words. And I was the only one there, walking back and forth, looking at him, young, ready, and hungry. I was saying, Drake, rock, Drake. I'd go and get him some more if he'd ask me to. <laughs> and then pretty soon the phone rang. It was the general manager. I said, hello. He said, young boy, this is Mr. Klein. I said, I know. He said, rock can't finish his program. I said, I know. He said, would you call one of the other DJs to come in? I said, yes, sir. I hung the phone up. I said, now he must be thinking I'm crazy. I called my mama and my girlfriend, Cassandra. I said, y'all come out on the front porch and turn on the radio. I'm about to come on the air. <laughs> I waited for about 20 minutes. Then I called it back. I said, Mr. Clyde, I can't find nobody. He said, young boy, you know how to work the controls? I said, yes, sir. He said, go in there and segue the records. But don't you say nothing here. I said, yes, sir. I couldn't wait to hang that photo up. I got old Rockin' Roger out of the studio. And it was Stevie Wonder. He was 12 years old. He had a song called Fingertips. And I got behind that microphone. I said, look out. This is me, LB, Triple P. Les Brown, your platter playing papa. There were none before me, and there will be none after me. Therefore, that makes me the one and only. Young and single and love to mingle, certified, bona fide, and dubitably qualified to bring you satisfaction and a whole lot of action. Look out, baby. I'm your love man. I was hungry. I got the job, too. <laughs> <laughs> and how long did you work there until you transitioned into your next level of personal development, which we sometimes call a job? But if we look at every opportunity as the next step up, it's amazing how we don't, you know, begin with the end in mind. We always focus on the, the journey. I did 12 years in radio in, 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 in Miami, Columbus, Ohio, New York, and Los Angeles, and Chicago. And then I ran for the Ohio legislature. I was elected to three terms there. Then midway of my third term, my adopted mother, she became ill, and so I resigned to go back to Miami to fulfill the dream that I said, if anything ever happened to you, you need me, I will be there. So I gave up my political ambitions to take care of mama. And, and, and then I was at an event and I was thinking about what can I do while I'm here in Miami? And I don't have a college education and I want to do radio, but there were no slots available. And I went to a, a motivational event and a guy said, who was on stage, there's somebody who should be here up on this stage now holding this microphone. I'm standing in your dream. And the reason you're seated out there and I'm standing up here holding this microphone that you should be doing is because you don't believe in yourself. I represent the thoughts you have rejected for yourself. He said, I don't know who this is for. And then he went on to give his speech. Dan, I got up, I ran outside. It went into a telephone booth like Superman used to do. <laughs> you could make a phone call for a dime. I called my mentor, Mike. Hey, Brownie, what's going on? I'm not rejecting myself anymore. Brownie, calm down. No, no, I'm not rejecting myself anymore. Do you hear me? My mother's sick, she's got breast cancer, Mike, and I need to do something that allow me to take care of her and be available to her and do something that's me. I wanna speak, man. 
I'm not rejecting myself anymore. He said, I'll help you. And I believe, ask for help, not because you are weak. Ask for help because you want to remain strong. And ask for help. And don't stop until you get it. And he helped mm -hmm. me. He's the author of a book called The Road to Your Best Stuff. I wrote the forward for it. He's been my mentor for 53 years. He saw this Les Brown before I saw him. It's very important for us to have somebody in our lives who will believe in us until our belief kicks in, who can, as, as he spoke, and when you speak, you take the audience to a place in themselves that they can't go by themselves and discover the imprisoned splendor. Mm, I ain't uh, playing with you. I'm coming for you. That's <laughs> so good. <clears throat> so as we wind down our time together, so often when you would come into a, a city, you would get the word out to the local chapter of the National Speakers Association, and you would graciously invite us over to your hotel suite to spend a, an hour or so private time with you, mentoring us in the art and science of storytelling and public speaking. And I've never forgotten those times where I had a chance to sit at your feet. Uh, and then as you, you know, remind me of my dream, sharing the stage with you and others, uh, with you taking the highest evaluations in every single event, what, uh, what advice would you give to to people who want to become not just motivational teachers, but but mentors and coaches to uplift humanity and, and do similar things to what you've been doing all these years? Number one, get a coach. Why? You can't see the picture when you're in the frame. Yes, sir. It's very important to get someone who's been there, done that, and bought the t-shirt like you. And, and can teach you how to leverage your story, your knowledge, your skills, and put your success on steroids. It's not just what you can learn from a mentor, but also where a mentor and a coach can take you. That's number one. Number two, find something that's you. People say, practice what you preach. No, preach what you practice. Yes, sir. You know, there, there are a lot of people out here telling people they can live their dreams. And they haven't done anything. They got a full-time job. <laughs> okay? No. You don't teach what you don't know, and you don't lead where you don't go. And, and so you want to find something that represents you, that when you think about it, and, 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 and this is major, you want to give a heart-centered message. The, the, the Dale Carnegie course, which is a very good course, they teach, tell them what you're going to tell them, tell them, and then tell them what you told them. I train speakers, and I say, no. Never let what you want to say get in the way of what your audience needs to hear. Do your research. Find out who they are, and then custom design your presentation to meet their needs and exceed their expectations based upon the communications intelligence that you've gotten from them. Don't assume that you know. And I think that that's extra work, but that has helped me tremendously when someone just went in and, 
just regurgitated a speech they're giving everywhere. I never give the same speech. I custom design it for each occasion. Why? Because every audience, there's an audience inside of each audience. And our goal is to unify them. Our goal is, is to create with our stories a significant emotional event and transform that audience individually and collectively. Absolutely. So let's just wind down. Let me put you on the hot spot, hot seat. If you had one hour to live, what's your final message? What, if, 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 if God forbid we clicked off this recording, what would you want people to quote you as what will, how do you want to be remembered and eulogized? And, uh, I'll definitely be there. I'll try to keep it under like 65, 70 minutes so I can give some other speakers who show up to eulogize you their equal time. But what, what's, your, what's your last lecture, brother? What's your, what's your final message to the world? I'm so glad you asked that question. I was thinking about that around 3.30 this morning and I called my twin brother and I said, man, have you been thinking about the meaning of our lives? You know, how Thurman said, don't, don't ask what is the meaning of life, ask what is the meaning of your life? And I said, when I go, I want them to say, he aspired to inspire until he expired. And he did it well from the heart. That's my story and I'm sticking to it. I love you, Les Brown. I appreciate you so much. And I, I look, love you back. Yes. I look forward to teaming up with you and and finally tweaking some of your uh, amazing students who just look up to you and idolize your methodology and your courses and your speaking boot camps. Um, what's the most important thing I could do for you, my friend? I'm telling people who are looking for if they want to be a dominant voice in their industry. And, and want to coach, I, I do limited one-on-one -on -one coaching with a limited number of people. Seven is my lucky number. <laughs> they, they can email me at coachmelessbrown.com. Coachmelessbrown.com. I love it. There, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Power Players with Dan Clark. And of all the guests that I've had all this time, Les Brown has been at the top of my bucket list at the bottom of my bucket list, everywhere in the middle of my bucket list. Thank you for honoring me and my and my listeners, my tribe. You clearly are the world's number one motivational teacher, and I don't say that lightly. I, I honor you. I admire you. I love you like a brother from a different mother. And uh, yes. I have, because of you. I take you, second I, place behind you because I know you're a bad dude. I know what you can do with a microphone. I ain't going for that one. No, ladies and gentlemen. No, he's a bad boy. That's, well, that's why they had him to close out. You saved the best for the last. No. I was just his opening act. It was it was the salt and pepper, two seasoned professionals taking the stage at the same time. And I just take great pride in calling you my friend. Thank you. I honor you. I love you, yeah. man. Love you and appreciate you. I'm giving you a virtual hug. Yes, sir. Bye for now. God bless. <laughs> yes, God bless you. Thanks, man.
The views and opinions expressed on the Power Players podcast do not necessarily reflect those of KUTV or Sinclair Broadcast Group.